Howdy friends, this is Matt Sewell and you're listening to episode 71 of the Popecast, the only podcast about popes where you'll find non-boring stories on the successors of St. Peter, and a reminder that all the world's problems have happened plenty of times before. Our sponsors this week once again are our friends over at Catholic Balm Co. How is that summer beard coming along? Head over to catholicbalm.co to check out their great variety of products, especially if you're looking to support an awesome small business. And be sure to enter the word Pope, P-O-P-E, at checkout to get 10% off your entire order. So once again, that's catholicbalm.co and the word Pope at checkout. Thanks again to Catholic Balm Co., as always, for sponsoring the Popecast. Well, our Pope this week was an able pontiff who brought much-needed respect back to the papacy at its lowest point in history. And on the family front, he was a real diamond in the rough, a lone bright spot amidst a group of relatives that would make the Kardashians blush. This week on the Popecast, it's the Pope whose family was the literal worst, Pope Benedict VIII. The future Pope Benedict VIII was born around the year 980 AD as Theophylactus, the son of Count Gregory I of the powerful Roman Tusculani family. Little is known about his early life, despite coming from wealthy stock, so history picks up the story with the 32-year-old Theophylactus being forced into the papal office in the year 1012 while still a mere layman. He chose the name Benedict, and in so doing gave a nod to his predecessor, Sergius IV, and the still new tradition of changing one's name once elected pope. Benedict VIII was of course then ordained a priest and bishop, likely within a few days of his election, and immediately was forced to deal briefly with a pretender to the throne. I mean, what medieval papacy is complete without an antipope stirring the pot, right? Though little is known about the man now known as Antipope Gregory VI, he seems to have burst onto the scene shortly after the death of Pope Sergius IV in June 1012. Obviously opposing the Tusculani efforts to elect their own man, Gregory appears to have put himself up as a rival candidate after drumming up a small band of supporters. The Catholic Encyclopedia recounts that he was, quote, promptly expelled from Rome, end quote, and headed instead to Germany, where he begged the approval of King Henry II. The saintly king, known also as Saint Henry the Exuberant, likely saw right through Gregory, but at any rate, assured him of a proper examination under canon law, and stripped him of the papal insignia he was sporting while things took their course. And that's the last that history ever heard of this, quote, certain Gregory. Henry II would end up being a great friend and collaborator to Benedict VIII, the rightful pope, for the remainder of their lives, which, as it turns out, ended within three months of each other in 1024. Not two years after the exile of anti-pope Gregory, Benedict VIII crowned Henry II as Holy Roman Emperor, Likely on the same trip to Germany, the Pope also consecrated Bamberg Cathedral, which still to this day houses the relics of St. Henry II and his wife, St. Cunegunde, along with, as it turns out, the only papal tomb in Germany, that of Pope Clement II, who would reign two decades later. Benedict VIII also made it a point to visit the great monastery at Fulda, founded by a disciple of St. Boniface in the 8th century, and received from the emperor a charter that confirmed once more what was called the Donation of Charlemagne and Otto the Great, essentially papal lands historically promised to Rome. Several years later, Henry II and Benedict VIII would collaborate once again, this time in organizing the Synod of Pavia in 1022, where he threw his papal weight behind the ongoing reformation of the clergy by St. Odilo and the Abbey of Cluny, 
seeking to root out simony, the selling of ecclesiastical offices, and clerical incontinence, to put it nicely. Let's use your imaginations there. Elsewhere in his papacy, Benedict VIII orchestrated resistance and defeat of Muslim Saracen raids on Italy's southern coast and also strategically allied himself with the Normans, those from the Normandy region of France and actually originally Vikings, who had begun to settle in Italy as well. In brief, as Matthew Bunsen notes in his book, The Pope Encyclopedia, quote, Benedict proved an able pontiff who helped revive the papacy after long being in eclipse in Rome, end quote. Historian Horace Kinderman, the early 20th century author of Lives of the Popes in the Early Middle Ages, praised Benedict as, quote, one of the few popes of the Middle Ages who was at once powerful at home and great abroad, end quote. The biggest irony, then, is that it was Benedict VIII's own extended family who were most to blame for the degenerate state of the papacy for the prior century, and, for that matter, for much of the next several decades. It all started with Theophylactus and Theodora, the senator of Rome and his wife, and Benedict's great-great-grandparents, who ruled Rome at the turn of the 10th century. Their daughter was Morosia, who succeeded them in their rule, but not before reportedly becoming a concubine of Pope Sergius III and giving birth to the future Pope John XI, who not only may have had that same Pope as his actual dear old dad, but who was later given the papacy himself by his mom. Morosia had two other children, one of whom deposed her in 932 and had her thrown in jail. That son, Albrecht II of Spoleto, was father of Octavian, better known to us now as Pope John XII, or better known maybe to early listeners of the Popecast as the Pope caught in bed with another man's wife. That would be episode 33. John XII's cousin, Pope Benedict VII, ascended to the chair of Peter ten years later, after the former had been killed by his lover's jealous husband. So that's three popes who came from the Tusculani family before Benedict VIII. He was the fourth, and two more would follow. After Benedict's death in 1024, his brother, Romanus, who up to that point had been put in charge of civil affairs in Rome, succeeded him and took the name of John the Nineteenth. And immediately after John came the worst of the bunch, Pope Benedict the Ninth, the man who was Pope three times, who once sold the papacy, and who ranks right near the top of the most notorious popes in the history of the church. He was so bad, he was uh, tops on my list for one of the very first episodes of the Popecast, in fact, episode six. And so, now you see how much of a veritable miracle it was that Benedict VIII was so effective a pontiff in those days. And that's a wrap on this episode about the Pope whose family was the literal worst. Well, we really hope you enjoyed it, especially if you're a new listener. And on that note, if you do enjoy the Popecast, we'd be honored if you share it with a friend or family member. It obviously helps to spread the word about the show, but Lord knows more people than ever could use a little bit of historical perspective these days. Uh, in addition, if you'd like, uh, again, if you're enjoying the show and you haven't yet, please leave a rating and or a review at iTunes. Uh, it helps more people, at least on that platform, see the show and, and hear about it. Uh, and then, of course, thanks for your patience during this brief Popecast hiatus. I'm not sure what it is about the spring, but each of the three springs that the Popecast has been around, we've, we've uh, gone off for about a month uh, that time. But we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming. Don't worry. And a quick shout out to Greg and Michael, our newest patrons. If you'd like to support the Popecast too, be sure to check us out at patreon.com slash the Popecast. That's patreon.com slash the Popecast. So as we head out today, remember, these are strange times we live in, but no stranger than in ages past. If you don't believe me, 
look no further than the family of Pope Benedict VIII. Until next time. <laughs>